Welcome to the VoxGig podcast. We talk to people in the developer community about developer relations, public speaking, and community events. For more details, visit voxgig.com podcast. All right, let's get started. Today, I'm speaking to Colm Doyle, who is head of developer relations at Intercom. Colm was previously in a similar role at Slack, so he kind of knows his stuff. What's interesting about this conversation is his personal journey into developer relations, and in particular, developer relations leadership. As developer relations has become a recognized function in the software business, we're starting to see the importance of the leadership role when it comes to making developer relations work. We spent a lot of time talking to guests just about developer advocacy, but in this podcast, we're focusing on the role of the leader when it comes to setting up a developer relations team, structuring that team, motivating the advocates, and making it all work. So without further ado, let's talk to Calm, who kind of knows how to do this stuff. Calm, welcome. Welcome to the Fireside with Vox King podcast. Great to have you on today talking about developer relations. All right. Thanks for having me, Richard. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what we talk about. Awesome. So uh, given all the um, wonderful stuff that's happening with APIs being taken away and given back and all that sort of stuff by companies that shall not be named, um, and given your experiences working for some of the larger tech companies, uh, I thought it'd be interesting to talk about um, long-term care and feeding of APIs. Uh, so companies, and we were just talking about Twitter as a, as a good example, sometimes um, throw up APIs without really thinking about the strategic implications. Twitter famously let anybody build um, Twitter clones effectively using their API. Subsequently thought that was a bad idea and then made it easy again and then took it away again. All sorts of carry on. Uh, if, you were, if you were put in the position now with all that benefit of hindsight for a large tech company that had chat gpt for example right that's maybe a good one open api is taken off or open ai what do you what do we do what do you do to manage their api and the developer relations for the next 10 years yeah um it's interesting i mean so i guess if you're if your target market is like is like people building for business or for you know for 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 profit or some kind of return i guess the big priority is like stability right and i guess there's like the like as a devrel person you're going to be constantly balancing like stability with innovation right because they can sometimes be at odds with each other right because you can you can have a really strictly versioned api and then constantly be iterating and bumping your api versions but then you're building up all this technical debt um, which will will eventually slow you down. I think, like like you say, uh, Twitter's kind of thing at the start was, you know, it made sense for them to, uh, you know, let people build clients atop their API so that they could essentially, as you say, build Twitter cones or like supplant the the Twitter UI. But I guess at the start, Twitter didn't really have a UI. Like it was all through SMS. And you could argue that Twitter wouldn't be what it is today without particularly their iOS clients, you know what I mean? Um, but they, they they were bottling kind of a unique moment in time. But like, like you say, with the benefit of hindsight, like it was a terrible, terrible move. Like it, 
when I worked at Facebook, our like our APIs were pretty clear from the outset that you weren't to use them to to build a Facebook clone because we were really um we were really passionate about like controlling that experience and not letting other people just like you know be you know get between us and our users um so i think you have like uh, you essentially have to advocate like because you're advocating for your developers and that doesn't necessarily just mean build this feature or build that feature or fix this bug but it also means making sure that the business has some kind of strategy around their their APIs because if you don't have you have to have a strategy if you want to be a platform right if if you just want like a goofy hook for someone to do something then sure you can throw up an API or two but a, a platform is not a platform without a, a strategy and being able to explain to developers like why they should invest their time and and energy in building a top tier platform and like for companies like slack that was like you know there was momentum there you know what i mean and um we were you know we were really getting you know we were like a a big footprint particularly in tech so like if that was your target audience we were kind of the the elephant in the room you couldn't not integrate with us you know what i mean so that was the strategy was was you know for for the companies integrating into slack was like you know grab a grabbing onto the side of the rocket ship um but slack to be fair had apis from the start and like it was always a big part of the slack narrative yes. was yeah exactly like it was like you know without without integrations slack was admittedly a, you know a lovely very full, fully featured client but it was it was watch app for business essentially if 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 you didn't have those integrations because the idea was if you spent all your time in slack then you know your information should come to you and the only way we were going to achieve that because we couldn't go and build into every single service that existed the only way to do that was to create this kind of symbiotic relationship with developers whereby like you know they would <clears throat> sorry they would give us um you know the data to put in front of their users and like we would you know increase the stickiness of their service or, or something like that um so it's it's really about me it's really about being clear that like developers are you know as much of a persona because businesses love to talk in personas you know what i mean you have admin like so at intercom where i currently work you know we have a notion of there are people who administer your your intercom instance we have um teammates who are like the people answering the answering the conversations and there are end, what we call end users who are like our customers customers right and these are all core personas but like developers are a persona there as well they are as important to the business as the teammate or the admin or the whatever and the slack was the same it had admins and it had users and developers were like a core persona um so from the say, very start yeah you could say in the last two places that you direct experience of slack and, and intercom there is a strategy that there, there are developer personas but there's thought gone into we're, we're going to have an api we're going to have developer relations and there is a long-term commitment to stability yeah um I, I i'm sure there'd be many slack developers who would uh argue <laughs> with that um like like so joking aside like a concrete example slack doesn't version its apis right um yeah yeah but yeah. The, but so there, there wasn't like you know there wasn't like like you can uh if you build an iphone app right um apple has really you know really clear guidelines on you know how long an api version is going to exist so if you hook into such and such an api it, your iphone app will work happily until at least this version right um 
now it's it's slightly different because iOS is like an embedded product and and that kind of thing. But you can see the same thing. Like it's Slack, it, there was a constant request for versioned APIs because people wanted to just turn the thing on, and if they didn't want to adopt a new feature, then they didn't have to. Um, we kind of always wanted to do it, but the real, you know, business business needs must, etc. And and like we, you know we try to mitigate it somewhat by like avoiding breaking changes and having like really long breaking change deadlines. But yes, uh, I think we were a relatively stable API. Yeah. And compared to, compared to Twitter, right. Which was one of my first experiences of, of integrating with APIs and, um, using the Twitter API, which in its day was, re- was a great API and it had great docs. Um, but it, it, it always felt accidental, right. It didn't feel like a, a thought out strategy per se, whereas now developer relations is an actual thing. And professionally, if we work in developer relations, we should be advocating for a strategy, right? You know, in our companies. Yeah, no, no. Like, you know, the developer's perspective, uh, you know, it's your job to make sure that like the whole roadmap, not just like your API or whatever, like the developer's perspective is taking in, taken into account across the whole business roadmap. You know what I mean? Like, um, you know, how will we monetize the API is an interesting one because, like, a uh, at Slack, my manager was Bear Douglas, and you know, we would often talk about like, is platform a cost center or is it a revenue center, right? Um, because the reality is, is at any business, at some point, you need to be a revenue center because otherwise, you're just kind of like a hobby. Right. So there has to be a clear way to make money off the platform. And sometimes that's super indirect. Right. So like at Slack, you know, we had metrics that told us if um, if a workspace installed a certain number of apps, then it would increase the stickiness by by X percent. So like the business strategy there was um, our customers will stay around if, you know, if the AWS integration is really good or the GitHub integration is really good or whatever integrations strategy for others for like apple it's um we want to take 30 percent of every time you sneeze um and you can argue whether 30 percent is a reasonable thing like ben thompson Shredekri, and john gruber over during fireball they often have fairly heated debates about yes. the validity yeah, of yeah. apple's uh, of, of apple's 30 percent but like the business strategy i think apple's a good example of stability because you kind of you can disagree with apple's rules but you kind of always know where you stand with them Right, and you could the the exceptions are really well known because they're so notable. You know what I mean? Like a really like like Apple's not perfect. They've made some really weird decisions, but everyone kind of knows them. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Because they're because they're so random. Like Twitter's Twitter's thing. Putting aside the technical strength of their APIs, right? Um, like you know, are the payloads formatted correctly? Is the OAuth easy to implement? Like the biggest thing for me when I would think about Twitter is is like. And it's gotten, you know, th- this has only been magnified since it was acquired. It's like, you just can't trust really anything they say. It's like the, it's like the scorpion and the fox type fable. You know yeah. what I mean? Like if you yeah. build on Twitter, if you build on Twitter, like you're going to be burned at some point was kind of the sense, whether that's accurate or not, but that was always my sense. And like, you look at um, Ivory, the new Mastodon client from um, Tapbots. Like they clearly been building that life raft for a while, you know what I mean, and rightly so. Like I don't think anyone, everyone kind of knew at some point that the likes of Twitterific and Tweetbot and stuff were going to get cut off. It was just a, it was a matter of when, not if. 
Yes, yes. The, um, the a literal sword of Damocles was hanging over them for a long time. <laughs> he, he felt it even as a user, not even as a developer. Yeah, yeah. And there was different things. It was like, it was clear they weren't investing in third-party clients as a strategy, yeah. which again is a, it, like, it's a valid strategy and like probably should have been executed from, you know, f- from much earlier. Um, and I know folks who've worked at Twitter, DevRel, Twitter, to the best of my knowledge, has no DevRel team anymore. But um, that was an uphill battle, like particularly for the second iteration of Twitter APIs, which was, I think, in like 2018, 2019. Um, that was just like, they were just, they weren't just building from like zero trust. They were building from like, neg- they had a trust deficit, you know what I mean? That they yeah. had to pay down. And to be fair to them, I think they were starting to pay it down until until the acquisition and then i mean as as with everything twitter once the acquisition closed all bets were off on on everything you know what i mean yeah i mean the only thing left is it has the same name i don't know what it is now yeah they don't even have the same coffee machines they opened off all their coffee machines let's talk let's talk about resourcing developer relations because i think it'd be interesting you were talking a lot about apple right and apple has infinite effective resources yeah so you would expect them to structure their developer relations and the way that they interact with developers uh, in, a, in a pretty sensible way and to resource it properly. Yeah, you know, some people do complain about Apple, but it's still pretty good overall. Yeah. Uh, whereas if you look at Slack, okay, they were very successful. Um, they were extremely well-funded, but they were still ultimately a startup in a growth phase and did not have infinite resources. No. Uh, and you've kind of touched on it about you know, being a profit center and that sort of thing. So how do you, uh, and you lead DevRel now, so how, how do you manage the resourcing of developer relations? So in Slack, uh, you know, the SDKs, the documentation, was that written part-time by uh, line of business developers? Was there a separate team? And if that separate team existed, did a report to the CTO, to the CMO? Was it its own thing? How did, uh, how did Slack structure that? The way Slack's team was structured, um, DevRel sat inside product. Um, so we reported not directly to, but up through the line of the chief product officer, um, which I think was the right home. I think, uh, I think it's kind of one of those never-ending questions in DevRel, along with like, how do you measure DevRel is like, where should yeah. DevRel sit in the org chart? Um, most companies seem to sit it in product engineering or marketing. Um, I I would personally only ever work for a company that either led me to report directly to the CTO or up through product or engineering. So an inter- intercom, it sits in engineering. Um, but back to Slack anyway. Um, so yeah, head of DevRel rolled up to the head of product um, and Bear, had, she had who's sorry, Bear was the head of DevRel at Slack. She had four teams reporting to her. Um, there was advocacy, which is my team, and we were kind of everything you would expect um, of DevRel. We were, you know, the conference circuit. We were at uh, the booths. Um, we were, you know, YouTube. We were um, kind of all the kind of outbound, you know, marketing of 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 the of the platform um, when it came to like the technical side of it. So code samples and all that kind of stuff. Um, so there was advocacy, there was partner engineering, which was kind of like a real white glove, uh, you know, almost like consultancy for strategic partners. So it was like, we'll help you build your integration. Didn't actually write the code, but like walking version, walking, talking versions of the developer documentation. 
Um, then there was a team of technical writers. Um, I think they were called the education team. Um, and they kind of, I, I used to liken them to, um, if our developer docs were a newspaper, and they weren't the journalists, but they were the editors. So they would um, mm. they would write a bunch of stuff, to be fair to them. But uh, they would also like accept contributions from anywhere in the business. Okay. So, you know, my team could like write a tutorial and give it off to the education team. And they would like, you know, give us feedback on tone, on, you know, generally the content, all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, I called them the editors because as far as I was concerned, they were the ultimate arbiters of what went on um, api.slack.com. And they were really, really good at it. And they, Taylor, who was one of the the early platform hires at Slack and, and led that team, he uh, he essentially created the voice and tone of API Slack documentation, which is like, it's pretty fairly good. Well known. It's yeah, fairly well known. You can argue the you can argue the pros and cons of some of the the the, the API documentation at Slack, but like I think everyone it's like is it the gold standard like Stripe? Maybe not, but I think it's I think it holds its own. It's um and then the last team was the SDKs and uh, they were responsible for um Bolts, which was like our rapid development framework, and then uh, the underlying SDKs, which were in Python, Java, and JavaScript. Well, technically TypeScript, but... That's an interesting team, the SDK team, right? Uh, and a, lo a lot of people struggle with this because that team needs to be composed of developers that can code in multiple platforms and languages. Yeah. Um, yeah. They were they were across three languages, but every one of them could get up on a stage. No problem. They could do the kind of typical DevRel public-facing stuff. That was like, I th I want to say we used to talk about it as like 70 or 70, 30 or 80, 20 on the SDK team. It was like you're 70, 30, you're 70 or 80 percent, you're kind of standard software engineer, but you need to like not be like if we send you to a meetup, you need to not like fall over yourself. Um, OK, that's an interesting strategy. Um, people struggle with SDK development, um, either just don't do it entirely. It's like, oh, there's the REST API or the GraphQL you know, <laughs> knock yourself out or, yeah. you know, they have some of the clients are the good ones and then the others are sort of ropey. Yeah. 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 And like, um, at, uh, like at intercom. So it, Slack had a team of like the SDK team was about, uh, I want to say six or seven people. Um, and they just did three languages and they did them very well. Uh, like our TypeScript SDK, we, we converted the SDK from, JavaScript to TypeScript fairly early on. And, uh, you know, our typings were excellent, uh, you know, and you could like, we really leaned into TypeScript as a, as a, as a, as a language. Um, That's perfect but, for exactly that use case, right? Because you have the typings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like, it's it's like, I love writing in TypeScript. It's, it's great. And it's kind of like, it's this pretty excellent fusion of documentation and, and, and programming language. Microsoft, using... Microsoft wins again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, schooling us all since the nineties. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, like at Intercom, we had, like we, we so like uh, my point was that you know Slack had six, six or seven people uh, focusing really hard on doing three languages, doing them well, and not caring about the rest. Intercom were spread a bit thinner, um, so like my strategy there is is like I don't want to let down the developers who've come to rely on the the SDKs that could. Do some love, frankly, um, but I do. I don't want to do a disservice to them by like pretending we're investing where we're not. So like where we're probably moved there is we've literally just finished, you know, uh, 
creating an open API description of all of our endpoints. And um, so what we'll probably do some version of in the future is like auto generate, you know, tiering the SDKs and like the tier ones will still be artisanal handcrafted SDKs and the tier twos will be like, look, we've, we've gone to the effort of running the open API generation script for you, but this is a yeah. generated SDK, which is like not great, but it's better than nothing. And it's also better than creating a false expectation with a, a, a portion of your developer community that like you're invested, you know, in that particular element of their success. I would rather be, you know, invest in the community success as a whole by making sure that there's good documentation and there's API endpoints that allow them to build interesting integrations. Um, and then on the second tier, be like, and if you use, um, so like, again, it's Slack, it was JavaScript, uh, Python and, and uh, Java. It's like, if you use one of these languages, we're going to go the extra mile for you because the metrics tell us that most of our developers are here. But for the rest of you, like, we're not going to do that for you, but we will give you these things, which make it just that little bit easier to develop. Yeah, like not, you, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, it takes uh, it takes the thing, takes the edge off it. You know what I mean? It's like a little bit thing. And if like if we see the metrics change and more people go in that direction, then we'll we'll change direction appropriately. Should you be on the lookout for um, you know hand built open source SDKs that you know somebody's just reading into the service has just decided. You know, oh, I want to talk to it in prologue, so I'm going to build the prologue SDK. Um, how do you interact? How does the DevRel team interact with those people if they exist? Do you try to hire them? Do you give them T-shirts? What do you What do you do? <laughs> yeah, the Java, the JavaScript. Uh, sorry, not the JavaScript. The Java SDK was actually um, there was an engineer in Tokyo, Japan. Anyway, I'm pretty sure Kaz is in Tokyo. Anyway, there was an engineer called Kaz. Um, who, uh, when he didn't work for Slack, he built a Java SDK. And uh, he was really, really good at it. Uh, so one day we just hired him. Yeah. And yeah. and it was actually it was actually after we had hired him that in some meeting we were like, why isn't the why isn't the Java SDK now a Slack official SDK? Given that we hired the guy who created it, <laughs> and everyone was just like, oh, that's a good point. And we just like moved it into the repo and yeah. you know, transferred over the issues, and now it's considered like a first class API. I think like you can't do that for everyone. Um. No. I think you want to reward you want to reward um people who are making contributions like that. So like um Slack had a Ruby SDK that was maintained by the community, not by us. Um and the way the way we kind of you know quote unquote rewarded the developers of say the Ruby SDK was twofold. Um one, we um were a bit more candid with them about our roadmap and um, we try to give them somewhat advanced notice of of uh, how we, what we were building and what direction we were going so that they could you know you know decide themselves how they wanted that to influence their the SDK's roadmap um the other way is sometimes I can't remember to be honest if we did this with the Ruby SDK but we definitely did it so it was like monetarily we you know we would say look Thanks. Here's ten thousand dollars, or you know, twenty thousand dollars, or five thousand dollars, whatever. Like one thing, SDK maintainers. It is important to show your community some love, but an SDK maintainer can't take slack socks to the grocery store. Um, yeah. Yeah. so if they want swag, you give it to them. You know, but by and large, if they're doing you a service and you want to demonstrate value, you don't do that with you know little tchotchkes that you'd get at a conference booth. Yeah. 
I mean, there's also the whole environmental impact of swag. Like at Slack, we were trying to limit the amount of swag we created because like who needs another tote bag or pen or whatever? You know what I mean? We had a rule. We had a yeah, we had a yeah, like we had a rule at DevRel at Slack um, pre-COVID that was um, it just didn't become as relevant after COVID. Um, Was that like we wouldn't produce swag? The team, the, the swag that our team produced. We would only produce swag that we thought had some kind of useful life. Yeah. Um, so like a pen wouldn't, but like we had no problem creating like physical books which would talk about the APIs. Now we didn't print the developer documentation, but like we printed tutorials and we printed like yeah, they were more kind of prose guides because we thought like that has a, a useful life beyond it. Look, we kept doing stickers because stickers are relatively low impact, and we kept yeah. doing socks because they were kind of our thing. But like we got rid of like, you know fidget spinners with the slack logo on them and you know all the pens and tote bags and all this kind of stuff uh okay so so let's let's just continue the theme around leadership in devrail um so in some of the work that i do i tend to have to integrate with a lot of third-party apis um in one recent project i think we had like the 15 integrations and the difference in developer experience between the top tier and the bottom tier is incredible right in terms of pain but the interesting thing is some of the bottom tier companies literally their entire business rested on an sdk integration because they were doing you know specific things uh you know let's say around specific user flows that type of stuff um so here's a scenario for you, right? So one of these companies gets new leadership and figures out that hey, you know, we can move the le- we can move the needle uh, quite a bit if we if we uh, upgrade our developer relations to be as good as Stripe, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't even have a developer relations team, and you're hired, let's say, to to set it up and run it um, with appropriate resources. What do you do? How, you know, what does day one look like? What is what happens after thirty days and ninety days and all that sort of stuff? What's the how do you, how do you how do you go from zero to strike? Let's say over the course of a year. Um, <laughs> no, no, no pressure. No pressure. No, no pressure. Um, I mean, st- Stripe is interesting because uh, it's like a developer first product, so. It's funny because they have a dedicated developer relations team and like they're incredibly talented individuals. Um, but in a way, the whole company is 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 the developer is like is the developer relations team, right? Because um, you know, if you think of like uh what I said earlier about like the business having personas and developers being a persona there, like you don't have to have that fight at a stripe. You know what I mean? Um yeah. Yeah. but so if you're hired into a company where it's like like for I mean First of all, and you figure this out before day one, you figure this out when you're when you're talking to the company about a better role, is like figure out if it's like just a whim someone has taken that having a developer relations team is a good thing, or if they like actually understand in their bones what they're getting into, right? Um well, let's take that as a given, right? That somebody is yeah, a yeah, yeah, company yeah, yeah. and you, they they under, they get it, right? Yeah, they're a they get founder it. and they they see uh, competitive advantage in doing this right. Yeah, I think honestly the first thing to do is like find your developer community, um, assuming it exists, right? If it doesn't exist, then it's a slightly different strategy. But if you're assuming there's an existing developer community there um, and go like figure out what the company's doing wrong and don't necessarily listen to like your PMs or your EMs or whatever, 
um, sorry, like product managers and engineering managers, uh, go listen to developers, right? Because your developers know all the weird nooks and crannies and they know like, oh, don't call that API method, call it this way instead and figure out like, like there's, I bet you there's a bunch of like undocumented hacks and stuff. I think to be honest, docs are always the place everyone should start. Um, they're kind of like, like there's, there's a lot of different learning styles you want to accommodate. Like when I say docs, I kind of include YouTube and, and that kind of stuff and, and code samples. But I think if you don't get that right, you're kind of building on a shaky foundation from the start. So it's kind of like critically assessing what enablement materials you have out there for developers. Like I said, be they YouTube, be they code samples, be they, you know, reference documentation and just making sure that's bulletproof. Like Stripe's, Stripe's developer relations experience I, like there's a spectrum of how good they are at everything. Like it's generally assumed that the Stripe docs are the gold standard for document for developer documentation. Like that's, I, I don't think I've ever met anyone who's a DevRel professional who would disagree with that statement. And um, they might, you know, they might argue with their first or second place, but they're, they're definitely on the podium for want of a better phrase. Oh yeah. Um, but then you look at, uh, you know, Twilio have the best, uh, the best demo. Like the Twilio five minute demo is like famous. Um, where it's this thing where like uh I like I it was funny, I was chatting to someone who used to work at Twilio uh, recently, and I told them that the first time I saw the Twilio demo was in 2012. And I still remember the room I was in, I still remember like what the event was. I remember like every moment of that because it was such a an incredible demo. And the the basic gist of it is, is like um they have the the phone number of you know, some percentage of people in the room, right? So live on stage, they send everyone in the room a text message oh, and then they sure. and then they call a handful of them. And it's absolutely incredible because like the whole the whole room like lights up. Yeah. And I, so I think they they have the like demo thing and they're like doing the value prop thing. So um get to like, the wow moment, right? Yeah, they get to the wow moment uh, really quickly. And I I I struggle with every platform that I work on to be like, what is my Twilio five minute demo? And I think I've slowly but surely over the course of my career in the 10 years since I saw that demo, I've decided that I'll never match it. Right. It was, it was, it, it was, it was like lightning in a bottle and you just can't, you know, you just can't recreate it. Um, so I just try and get as close as I can to it. But, um, but I guess what the, the, the Twilio demo is great at versus just like kind of raw documentation is it, it, like you say, it gets people to the wow moment. Like I'm told, having never worked at Stripe, that the Collison brothers had like a rule that like there had to be code on the homepage, right? You had to, and you had to be able to like run an API call pretty yes. quickly. There yes. was like a thing, there was like a thing famously where they had, they always had curl commands you could copy paste on the homepage. Yes. I don't know if it's still true. But that was, that was, it was, it was true in the early days. At at Facebook, um, one of the DevRel leaders, a guy called James Pierce, he measured um, conference presentations in um, times to fixed width font. Um, so it was like, how many, how far are you into the presentation before you're showing me code samples? That's um, so true. It's because that's yeah, that's absolutely right. But like, yeah. what the code sample things does is it makes it real, right? It makes it. Um, it sells like the value prop of developers. It's like a call to action for developers. It's like, because if they're looking at the docs, they have to decide, well, like, why, why should I do this? You know what I mean? Like, um, what, what can I do with this API? Right. Um, like I always loved, I used to be an iOS developer and I always used, I always loved developing on iOS because it was so 
like viscerally real. It was like the software is on my phone right now and it like it provides value instantly. Um, and you have to figure out how to do that um, with with your platform. And like candidly, like it's a struggle um, at a company where developers aren't your target audience, right? So at Slack, a lot of people who built in our APIs were developers because by and large, if your company used Slack, the first team to uh, adopt it yeah, were it was, your technical yeah, teams. Yeah. Um, but like at Intercom, the people building the integrations, they're not. Uh, they're not like teammates. They're not the people who are like on the front line of the support experience. They're not, um, not always. I mean, there could be, there's obviously, you know, there's exceptions to every rule, but like by and large, they're not going to be the ones who like directly benefit from their work, right? So you have to be a bit clearer with them. More about, of a challenge, like, right? Because there's more- Oh, 100% more of a challenge. But you, parts, like, you, right? you, you, have to, you have to be clearer with them about like the value they're delivering, right? Because it's so indirect. Whereas like, uh, whereas, like I said, at, at Slack or, um, you know, for, say, Apple or Stripe or or the AWS team, they, they can feel it. You know what I mean? Like an AWS, AWS Amplify, um, which is like a uh, like a framework for helping you rapidly build applications. It's like it makes the person who's writing whose fingers are on the keyboard. It makes their life easier. Yeah. Um, and you for have to for a while <laughs> for, for a while. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> But you know you have to make that if you're if you're at a company where developers aren't your target. Uh, sorry, so if you're working DevRel, developers are always going to be your target ones, but they're not the business's target audience. You know what I mean? Um, it's it's yeah. a bit more of a journey, and you have to sell the value prop a bit more. And and actually, your 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 intercom situation is probably more normal, right? It's it's probably probably yeah. the majority of DevRel actually happens in this type of context where there are more players. Yeah, I look I look really jealously at um at people who uh who are like they're DevRel for DevTools companies. Yeah, <laughs> right. so just, and just like, like, I, 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 I wouldn't be as as insulting as to say it's DevRel on easy mode, but it's like it's like <laughs> you yourself, you yourself are the customer, so you exactly. inherently understand the product a bit better. Um so you're able to sell it better to your develop, you know, to your peers and, and all that kind of stuff. Um it's it's so it's a bit more of a challenge to to like be at an intercom or a HubSpot or a Salesforce or a, or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Just going back to our, our sort of theoretical DevRel refactoring, would you replicate the, the the mini org structure that you had in Slack? You know, with the with the the docs team and the SDK team and the advocacy team. Was that a good structure? Did it work? I think so. I think for the size, so like the overall DevRel org at Slack was about 30, 30 ish people. Mm. Um, all, all the teams were kind of six or seven ish people. Um, I think it worked. Um, I, the closer you can embed into the people who are like building the first run experience for your developers, the better. So like we owned the SDKs. Therefore, we could iterate much faster on them. We weren't beholden to like another team's roadmap. Um, similarly, similarly at Intercom, like I'm the head of DevRel, but I'm also a senior engineering manager. Um, and my team kind of owned the developer experience at, at Intercom. Um, so yeah, so there's a know, lot of, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I am both the advocate and the person I'm trying to convince, and I just have to wear two hats all the time. <laughs> um which you know, I don't always win in arguments with myself, but um, yeah. <laughs> but but uh, no, I think it works. I think like the like the SDKs are like an enablement material in themselves. You know what I mean? Because they make it easier to like at at, at Slack. We pretty aggressively cared about like um 
and we had metrics to back this up that it was like if we didn't if if you tried to build an app and you didn't successfully get someone else to start using it within I, I, I want to say it was like 21 days um then you would abandon it you just wouldn't bother using it. you would just give up and it was like a hobby project you never worked on so like yeah. we were like we we tried to pull every lever we could to make your app successful in the first couple of weeks. Now that didn't mean you had ten thousand users in the first few weeks, but it meant you at least had like your peers on the team using it and starting to get value out of it. Because then you would continue to invest in it. So having the SDKs and the docs and the partner engineering work and the advocacy all under one one house meant we had more levers to pull, and we were kind of the masters of our own destiny a bit more. Um, so I think yeah. I'd do that. Um, yeah, I, I mean, you, you can't underestimate the value of a really good technical writer. Um, no, like we 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 had a literal poet on our uh, on our technical writing team in Slack. Um, like she was, you know, she was she moonlighted. I think she moonlighted as a DevRel person. Her real calling was being a poet. Um, <laughs> so you, but you like so you you have you're like a good technical writer. It should always be one of your first hires. Like. Definitely in your first three, you know what I mean. Uh, Most undervalued role. Yeah, but yeah, but like the thing about a technical writer is, like I said, at Slack we treated them like editors, right? Um, yeah. They wrote. Don't get me wrong. They wrote tons of docs from 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 nothing. Um, but like the real value of was using them as a force multiplier for other teams. You know what I mean? Um, because they had like you know folks who like really deeply understood like good information architecture. Right, which is important and kind of often overlooked because if you you can have you can write incredible docs, but like if nobody can find them or they're not structured in the right way, it doesn't really matter. You know what I mean? Stripe does this really well. Twilio does this really well. Um, uh, Zendesk, uh, you know, one of our competitors, does this really well as well. You know what I mean? They like when you land on the page, there's a really clear guide to get you to the information you need. I think too many people just say, "Well, we put search on the docs." You know what I mean? Or Google will do that for us. Um, and they yeah, they kind of they they abdicate that responsibility and they're just, just not as good as like doing it yourself. You know what I mean? At Slack, the team, the docs team thought a lot about like what was the user journey through our documentation. Because these days you're you're up against chat GPT and things like that, literally. Um, yeah, 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 which is gonna get it incredibly wrong. Like I think the next I think the next kind of interesting thing in in DevRel is like how are we going to optimize our developer experience for a world where like people are using chat GPT or um, GitHub Copilot? You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I wouldn't say I sit awake well, at night, but like I do, I whenever a Copilot fires in my browser, I'm always like, is there a way I could be writing my code samples so that GitHub Copilot gets this right more of the time, you know, more often than not? And yeah, I, I, yeah. I don't even know. I, I haven't had the bandwidth to look into it, uh, how possible <laughs> it is, but it's like, it is a thing, right? Like, um, Intercom recently launched um, a bunch of ChatGPT style features into into the product, and uh, I like look at that and I'm like, you know, how can we make this easier for developers to leverage? You need to be talking right. to your, your ML teams. Um, oh, don't worry, don't oh, worry. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, my ML teams hate me, but um, <laughs> but it's it's the thing of like how can how can we use AI to improve the developer experience? Like a GitHub are doing, you know, fantastic work here with the Copilot stuff, and yes. and just yeah. in general, like I, uh, you know, I I have a reasonably cordial relationship with the GitHub DevRel team, and they like they they just like they have this perfect mix of both develop, you know, being a developer first company, but also like the, their API. The, everyone everyone who is a customer of GitHub is a developer, but only some of them are using 
GitHub's APIs, but it means that the whole company is talking about like how to make life easier for developers. So yeah. it's like it's like co-pilot features. It's about making pull requests better. It's about all these all these kind of different kind of things. It's an, they they have an exciting challenge, um, which is which is interesting. Tom, we uh, we need to wrap up. <laughs> this has been uh, it's been really really fabulous, and interesting, particularly the leadership stuff. Um, go easy with the ML. Don't don't uh, you know invent Skynet and Intercom. Yes, try not to do that. <laughs> no, um, I'm trying. But, uh, yeah, I I I, uh, I think. I think it's there's definitely new stuff coming in DevRel around all that that's going to be super interesting to watch. Thank you so much. It's been fabulous. Now, thank you for having me. You can find the transcript of this podcast and any links mentioned on our podcast page at voxgig.com slash podcast. Subscribe for weekly editions where we talk to the people who make the developer community work. For even more, read our newsletter. You can subscribe at voxgig.com slash newsletter, or follow our Twitter at voxgig. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.